here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody. It is Shake Them Ropes, a special edition at the end of this week. It is Rob McCarron here. We are going to be joined shortly by Nick Dinsmore, the former Eugene of WWE fame. Nick Dinsmore, who has been recently working with the NXT, the rising superstars of WWE down at the WWE Performance Center. We're going to be talking with him about his time at the Performance Center and his training methods and what he liked about that uh, time in his life and what's next for him. So we're going to be joined by Nick Dinsmore in just a bit. Before we do that, just some updates. Uh, If you don't want to be spoiled by what happened on the SmackDown TV tapings, go ahead and fast forward uh, a couple of minutes. The timestamps will be in the show liner notes, so you can know when our interview with Nick Dinsmore starts. But WWE did tape SmackDown this Tuesday. Jeff and I talked a lot about what happened on Raw and what might be leading up to Hell in a Cell. We talked about the Dean Ambrose-John Cena match that was made for Hell in a Cell. But on SmackDown this week, another stipulation was added to the John Cena and Dean Ambrose match. The match is now a contract on a pole match. So obviously stipulations being added. So one of these two guys does not take a pinfall loss or submission loss. Actually gives me hope that Dean Ambrose might win this match. So the winner will have to climb up on the top rope and get a contract for the Seth Rollins match off of a pole. This actually leads me to believe that Dean Ambrose has a better chance winning this match This might be done to protect John Cena from taking a pinfall loss. I don't necessarily think it helps either one of them, whoever may win. But again, the main event of the show will be Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. That's the match that really counts at this point. So that was made for SmackDown. All in all, an interesting SmackDown. You'll get some returns. uh, Some former GMs make their return. And some fun hijinks, if you will, on the 15th anniversary of SmackDown. And right now... Even after the SmackDown tapings, with Hell in a Cell on the 26th of this month, we have two matches announced. And it is still those same two matches, John Cena and Dean Ambrose, and then Seth Rollins facing the winner inside Hell in a Cell. Still suspected that uh, Randy Orton will get the loser, possibly in a Hell in a Cell match also. Uh, Might actually be made up on the fly on the show for all we know, or maybe announced here in the coming weeks on Raw. But uh, effectively, we have three matches you can kind of pencil in. A few others that are on the works. Uh, It's still expected, I would imagine, that we're going to get Nikki and Brie Bella. I do not imagine we will be getting that match inside Hell in a Cell. Although Nikki Bella, on Peter Rosenberg's Wrestling with Rosenberg podcast this week, did tease that she wanted to be inside the cell with her sister. So... Maybe that's still an idea. I still highly doubt that that's going to happen, but you never know with WWE. You never know. But this month especially, with the Susan G. Komen 
the breast cancer awareness, the going pink with the ropes and everything. I just don't expect on a PG show, even though I know the pay-per-views aren't necessarily PG now, I just do not expect them to put the Bellas inside Hell in a Cell. But, as many of you listeners, long-time listeners know, I've been wrong before, so we'll see. Also on the SmackDown tapings this week, in dark matches, we had a lot of the NXT talent as they continue to make the tours with WWE. Sami Zayn, Tyler Breeze, Adrian Neville, all working dark matches on SmackDown. So it's just a matter of time before they start showing up on TV once again. Maybe even after Hell in a Cell, we might see the influx of some of these NXT guys, whether it's Sammy, Adrian, uh, The Ascension coming up and possibly be going with Bray Wyatt. You never know. Of course, right now, Sami Zayn is on the road to the NXT title. Uh, so that is continuing over storylines on NXT TV. So he is doing that here for the next month or so. So maybe he'll be kept out until the new year. You never know. Royal Rumble is just around the corner. It is going to be taking place in Philadelphia. That was announced this week. A lot of rumors out there that it might be a 40-person Royal Rumble. I don't know if that's confirmed yet. Would not surprise me uh, because I figure this year they're going to try to get more talent involved, especially some of these NXT guys. And that very well could be a place to debut an Adrian Neville or Sami Zayn. So we will be following that as it goes forward. I hope everyone out there will be sure to catch our most recent edition of Shake Them Ropes. Jeff and I earlier this week discussed everything coming out of Raw, including The Rock's return, the segment with Rusev, the buildup still to Hell in a Cell, and somewhat the lack thereof. That show can be found on VoicesOfWrestling.com, or if you go to Twitter.com slash ShakeThemRopes, the very first post will have how you can contact us and subscribe for free to our podcast feed, and you can get all of these episodes delivered to you as soon as they are released. So I will suggest that you do that. You can get us on iTunes, Stitcher, all of those platforms. So check that show out. I also reveal my Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame ballot. So if you're interested at all in the historical side or the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, go check that out and we'll discuss who I voted for, who might get in, and so much more. So two editions of Shake Them Ropes this week. This one here, a special edition with Eugene. We're going to have Nick Dinsmore on in just one moment. If you have an opinion on the world of WWE, we want to hear it. Send your tweets to at ShakeThemRopes, email us at rob at ShakeThemRopes.com, or call in on our Skype and phone lines. We have a voicemail box set up to take your calls 24-7. Just call in on our Skype username, Let's Say Things, that's L-E-T-S-S-A-Y-T-H-I-N-G-S, or via the telephone at 260-494-3811. That's 260-494-3811. And leave a voicemail with your thoughts. We will play your comments on our next show and talk about them. Follow us on Twitter at ShakeThemRopes for all of our show happenings and our recording schedule. And check out ShakeThemRopes.com for all of our contact information. Shake Them Ropes is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find Voices of Wrestling on Twitter at Voices Wrestling or online at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Welcome back to Shake Them Ropes, and we are joined by Nick Dinsmore. Nick Dinsmore, formerly of WWE. You can follow Nick on Twitter at Eugene Dinsmore or on Facebook, Nick Eugene Dinsmore. He has graciously taken some of his time today to join us and talk about his, uh, his time in NXT and his time with uh, different training methods. 
Also getting into his time in India, living there and training a bunch of guys there who just didn't come from the same background. So we're going to talk about all of that here on Shake Them Ropes. Nick, in September of last year, you were hired by WWE to work as a trainer at the Performance Center. At the time you were hired, were you still training classes at OVW? Yeah, I was still uh, wrestling independently and training classes at OVW. When I went down, I think it was last uh, May a year ago, for a, uh, I came down as a guest trainer for a week, and um, about a week later they called and said they wanted to hire me. Were you keeping in touch with them? Were they keeping in touch with you? Was it just a matter of them you know, opening the performance center and, and wanting to get you in? Or how did that whole process turn about? Uh, actually, I got a random call from head coach Bill DeMott and said, you want to bring me in for a, uh, 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 for a week as a guest trainer? And they brought a, a lot of people in as guest trainers. I mean, mm-hmm. Ed DiBiase has been in since, uh, since, since I was in, at, uh, at the performance center. Kai Suhadi was in, Perry Saturn was in, Adam Pierce was in. So it's, it's something that they did often with, with uh, a lot of different people, but it was, it was kind of, you know, in the blue, just out of the blue that uh, that I would receive that call. So, Very cool. Were there any guys in NXT or at the Performance Center at the time that you had trained from OVW? At the time when I got hired, no. But since then, uh, one guy got hired, a, a kid from Bermuda. Okay. When you go to the Performance Center, and it's a large team of trainers, it's a large building, there's a lot of uh, talent there from all different backgrounds, was was there any adjustment period from kind of leading classes at OVW to going to work as a team, or what was the transition kind of like for you? Actually, it was, it was fairly easy. You would think that it might be a bit more difficult, but it was actually fairly easy, because I've been training wrestlers since 1999, and I was very well-versed in, in, the, in the material I could teach a beginner's class. I could teach a, a finishing class. It really didn't matter. I just needed to know the, the specific uh, material that they wanted me to cover. And head coach Bill DeMont was very, you know, was, was very thorough on, on, on what he wanted taught. And it was actually, you know, I got a lot of direction. So it was, uh, it was actually, you know, an, an easy transition. Yeah, it seems like a guy with uh, your background, you mentioned training wrestlers since 1999 and you worked independently you worked for wwe before so you kind of know what they were looking for you worked worldwide uh it seems like you're the type that they would want down their training so it it seems like a perfect match for sure you would think so you would think so um what so we talked about what kind of led to the return uh you doing the guesting there uh when you went back to wwe and bill demont uh, brought you in to become a trainer did you have any aspirations of wrestling again for WWE? Because you were still doing it independently. Did you think maybe this is the window back in and I can try to get maybe on the road again? Or were you completely settled in as being a trainer? Well, I think every wrestler still thinks that they have one more run left in them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if, if that was to come about, I would be happy. If I was just going to be a, a coach, I would be happy as well because, the Performance Center is a phenomenal building. NXT is a phenomenal company. And it was, it was truly my entire time there was just a, a great, phenomenal experience. Could you ever imagine when you, when you were training guys in 1999 and, and coming up the ranks and working, that a center like this would exist, you know, just a decade later? No, and this is like uh, something that just, when I first saw it, it, it literally blew my mind. I'd heard that they that they'd gone in and looked at the New York Giants training facility mm-hmm. to kind of see what the standard is for like professional athletes, and I feel like the performance center far exceeds that. And 
and one thing I was down there for, and I, I got the tour and I got a chance to say hi to you and I got to talk with Bill DeMott. Uh, one of the things I was looking for what were the evolutions of the training center. Like once it opened in July of 2012, I believe, or 2013, sorry. When it opened, what kind of additions were made in your time there? Like uh, were there different types of rings added? Uh, I know the stage was something that kind of transformed. Uh, what evolutions did you see from the training center while you were there? Yeah, the uh, the stage was one because that's one thing that you have to know how to do. If, if you start on, on Raw tomorrow and they say, okay, what do you do on your entrance? And you've never even walked down a Raw-style stage, it's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, the, the aerial or what I call the crash pad ring was one to, to let the high-flying guys be able to attempt their big high-flying maneuvers and, and, and not risk too much injury. Um, a lot of the weight equipment, a lot of the video equipment, the fact that, you know, you saw that, that, that you could cut an interview and then turn around and watch it back and, and get feedback on it was, was, was really just a, a phenomenal, you know, a phenomenal thing there that I saw. Yeah, I, I had tried to do my research going in there, so I wasn't too surprised and, you know, try to think of good questions to ask Bill and all that stuff. Uh, the crash pad ring, knowing knowing it was there was still something because Bill brought over one of, I think, one of the beginner students to kind of give a demonstration. So he comes off the top rope on that crash pad ring and almost in the perfect demonstration, completely botched it up, Land, landed yeah. on his head. I don't know if Bill planned that or not, but it seems like that's the perfect type of ring for a lot of the beginners because it's not all 10-year veterans that are coming into this performance center. There's a guy, there's guys from a lot of different backgrounds. Um, was the influx of different types of people over the time you were there something that was refreshing to see? It, it really seemed like they had an open mindset to who to bring in. Yeah, there's a wide variety of, 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 of talent there. There's a former professional athlete. There's, uh, um, you know, actors, independent wrestlers. There's, there's people that can perform, people that can entertain. And you've got big guys, small guys, high flyers, you know, technical wrestlers, brawlers, the entire gambit. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really uh, uh, something special that I saw there at the performance centers. What was the, uh, could you take me through, like, I'm not expecting that the daily routine was all the same, but what was like a typical day for you uh, working with a team of trainers? What was, what was your role within the trainers and, and were you, were you super hands-on with some of the talent there or certain types of talent that was there? Oh, absolutely. When I first started, I had the uh, beginners class and I taught them uh, primarily people with zero experience, just okay. the basic, fu- the basic fundamentals of, of, you know, for someone that doesn't know how to get in a wrestling ring, sometimes it's challenging. I know that seems kind of funny and you might laugh, but really, if you see somebody with zero experience try to get in a ring, they look at it like it's, like it's an obstacle course. So you got to teach them how to get in the ring. They have to wipe their feet, you know, to be able to run the ropes, to be able to uh, do the rolls, you know, just to get their body conditioned, not only cardiovascularly, but, but also just for the abuse that they're going to be taking. Um, as the year progressed, I, I moved up to a, a class where I was actually teaching the fundamentals of wrestling. And I was very hands-on wrestling with some of the guys day in and day out, you know, teaching them the basics and the fundamentals of, of, of the building blocks of, of, of the profession. Anyone in particular, whether it was the beginner class and you saw them rise up or some of the intermediate, uh, anyone you were particularly proud of as they transitioned through NXT or anyone that you uh, would still keep in touch with that you want to see them progress? I mean, like, the guys that are currently on NXT television, 
they were pretty much polished by the time I got there, so I didn't have a whole lot of uh, uh, dealings with them. But the guys that were in my class, I mean, names to look out for, guys like Braun Stoneman, Cal Bishop, Chad Gable, Elias Sampson, Hugo Knox, Steve Cutler, uh, Tucker Knight, and, and, and one guy in particular that, that I, I think could be like the next big thing in wrestling is a guy named Tony Briggs. I mean, those guys, you might not see them for a couple of years because, like I said, my class was uh, uh, for the guys that were newer to the system, but the, those are names. Angelo Dawkins, Bull Dempsey, guys that are just starting on TV. You know, guys that I really took to, that took to me, that, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to like calling friends for the rest of my life. I was, uh, I was at the NXT TV tapings the day before I visited the center, and uh, you mentioned Chad Gable. Chad Gable got a match on that show. Uh, I think Tony Briggs was on that show, too. Uh, Chad Gable's a guy who brings out a lot of comparisons uh, to a certain former WWE wrestler, um, but Chad Gable, for being a newcomer, certainly looks like he has potential to be uh, quite something in WWE. I think he's only wrestled for, for eight or ten months, maybe a year at most. And he was an Olympic wrestler, and I, I, I think he's going to do well for himself. Absolutely. And and Braun Stoneman, a lot of these guys were training in the ring. Uh, Braun Stoneman, who was a uh, – he's gotten some WWE TV time just being as in a rosebud. Uh, what is it like for some of these new guys who come into NXT and get the chance to get their TV moment, whether it's on WWE or NXT – kind of a new experience for them from where they came from. Uh, do they come to the training center the next day and just gush over it? Are they, are they asking questions? Do you see new motivation in guys once they get their brief TV moment? Yeah, I would see like the entire class corner, whoever was on TV and kind of get the uh, stooge report on what went down, what it was like, what uh -huh. they saw, who they saw, stuff like that. And then I would gather the class around and I'd have them, you know, Tell their uh, tell their experience and, and talk about it. And it was always cool to see their face light up and to see them react. You know when they were talking about you know what they did on Raw the night before, traveling to SmackDown, or or just what they did on the road, and just you know that 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 taste of the brass ring that they were all searching for. I, I don't know if you have uh, too much of the. Uh, I don't know if you're working a lot with some of the other guys, the non-wrestlers maybe that work down there, like the referees or the, or the students from Full Sail. Uh, but what about, what about all the talent that's brought in not necessarily to wrestle? Do you get any time with them, uh, kind of go over your background, or what's it like for those who are not going there to wrestle? I mean, uh, yeah, I work with a lot of the referees. I mean, I, I got to tell you, Danilo and uh, Sean Bennett, and Drake are some of the best referees that I've ever had a chance to work with. I didn't get to work so much with the, uh, the, the kids in full sale, but everything I saw was professional and, and, and just phenomenal. They, they were always kind and nice, and, and the product is great. So, um, I got to work with uh, uh, Drake a lot here in the Midwest. I got, I got a chance to to work with him sometimes and, and be a part of his company sometimes. Drake is one of the more positive guys I've ever met in my life. Did that translate down at NXT? Was he uh, just smile ear to ear all the time? Absolutely. I mean, I'd wake up in the morning and check my Twitter and see Drake's positive mental attitude Twitters and how excited he was to be here and just to be, you know, working. And I'd come and see him in the morning, he would be smiling and just ready to work. And he was always one of my favorite guys to see each and every morning. When, uh, when you were working with OVW, um, I assume you were living in Louisville, is that right? So you moved down to Florida, 
Uh, now with the time with WWE being over, will you be staying in Florida? Are you planning on moving back to uh, the Midwest? And uh, and what's kind of next for, for you within wrestling or within your uh, living situation? Well, what would you do if you were in a place that had in the summers that could be by the beach and the pool every single day? Would you move back to uh, horrible winters and Indiana weather? I think not. I, I don't think so, yeah, because you would be coming back to uh, the temperature-wise it's not bad, but it's going to be raining a lot, which you may be used to sometimes in Florida, but winter's coming fast. Yeah, um, you know, I'll stay here for a while. I don't know if this is where I'm going to put down roots, but uh, you know, in, in, in the near future I'll be here. Will you be doing any, uh, will you be traveling, doing like wrestling seminars uh, like you were doing before? Will you, uh, are you still going to be involved heavily in wrestling? Well, let me tell you, my phone has been ringing off the hook this morning. I can believe it. Companies, you know, wrestling companies around the world. You know, my lawyers told me that I can either confirm or deny that I'm in contract negotiations with any or all of these companies. (laughs) But let me tell you something, you're going to see my face one way or another. I would expect it. I was going to ask, and that probably answers this question, but uh, a couple of days ago, you you retweeted on Twitter uh, something from Jeff Jarrett's Global Force Wrestling. Anything you can talk about with that? Was it just a random retweet? Uh, I was just checking out the product, honestly, and I, I just wanted to follow it and just kind of see what it was all about and uh, give it a retweet. So we'll see what happens. Any... Go I went to India with Jeff. Jeff Jeff Jarrett ran the uh, ran the company in India, the Ring Picking. That's right. What was, was that What was that Jeff. experience? What was that experience like? Were Were you in India for? Uh, I mean, were they flying you in for a couple of days and going back, or were you in there for a lengthy period of time taping all these shows? I lived there for three months. Wow. I was there with Savio Vega, and we trained twenty six Indian wrestlers that had zero pro wrestling experience, and they didn't speak English. We trained them for two months, and then they brought in all the Americans, mm-hmm. and we, we, we did 28 episodes of TV. So I was there for, uh, for quite some time. Would you say that was a, uh, it sounds like a rewarding experience, getting to train different, uh, different types of people. Is it any more difficult to train guys who have no understanding of English, or is wrestling more universal now with wrestling all over the world? No, man, it was, it was difficult. We had to have a translator. Okay. And, you know, the, the, them not being able to speak English was one thing, but just the cultural difference, you know, sometimes was, was difficult to overcome. You know, they, they, I think they perceive wrestling maybe differently than it's perceived here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, every day in the middle of class, they would have to stop and have a coconut break. And Savio and I would be like, we're not stopping. We've got to keep going. And <laughs> they would literally just get out. I mean, they were the most respectful people. You know, every morning they would come say hi to me. I mean, just phenomenally respectful but in the middle of class they wouldn't have their coconut break so they stop 10 minutes put the, put the screwdriver and the straw and the coconut drink it all let's go back to work and there's like there's, it wasn't up for debate it was coconut time there's no coconut breaks down in orlando i don't i don't imagine uh not too many no when when a guy like so you went to india to train for three months and what happens when guys uh from a different area come into nxt like recently kenta Kenta's been in NXT now for a couple of months. He came over working in Japan, uh, you know, for his entire life. When a guy like that comes over, are there programs within NXT that help him kind of uh, get into the U.S. mindset? I mean, are they just throwing him out to NXT where he trains wrestling and then, you know, he's off on his own for the rest of the time? Or how does WWE kind of help some of these uh, foreign athletes come in and train with WWE? 
they're actually really phenomenal on the, I guess the word is maybe integration oh, yeah, of yeah. Uh, foreign talent into the United States. He would have English class every day to help him with his English. He was going to, uh, uh, not him, but um, Fergal, Prince Devitt, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, apparently he'd never driven a car before. Oh, wow. He was going to driving class to learn how to drive a car. Um, and Dovey was, was very, you know, anybody that wanted to take any kind of college course that would help them with their WWE product, they were right there to put you in that college course, anybody, foreigner or not. You know, it was, it was, it was a very uh, a very helpful company. It was phenomenal. I'd say that's one of the things I was more amazed at when I got there because um, these guys are not just training wrestling. I mean, that's a big part of it. But, you know, they're doing their, their presentations. They're working with announcers. They can watch, you know, the WWE Network on on a bunch of different computers on campus and kind of get familiar with older styles, newer styles, uh, maybe just the American style. Uh, it, it, I was comparing it a little bit to like a college campus where they're here. Uh, it's their kind of their full-time gig, but they're really learning the entire business, not just inside the ring. It, it's quite the site. I mean, what would you kind of compare it to? Is there anything else like it out there? Not just in wrestling, but uh, anything at all. I mean, I've, I've never seen like a, a pro football training camp. But the only thing I can compare it to is, is when I went to college. I and mean, you were there all day learning and learning and learning. And at the end of the week, you know, you took your test or you had your class project to go out in the community and, and form your business or whatever the particular project was. I mean, it's really – I've never seen anything like this in wrestling. And I was a part of, of, of the developmental system at its inception. And as it grew and as it's, you know, been cultivated into what it is today. And this is really like just, I mean, totally phenomenal and mind-blowing. Would you ever just on a on an off note, maybe when the workday is done, uh, go out and have a beer or something with like a belt of mod or one of the other trainers and just and just think of how crazy it is that these guys are getting this training method now when only ten years ago it was so much different. I mean, uh, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of socialization. Not that we didn't do that, but it's just uh, you know you go in there, you work out, you work all day long, you write your report, you watch you watch your videos. You know, you plan the next day and, you know, I'm going to get home and have family time. You know, it's not so much uh, right. go out and hang out. You know, it's the, the, the essence of being one of the boys was kind of lost when you transferred to becoming a coach. When do you think that essence has kind of been lost too with the, uh, with the actual performers, those who are training? Is that an important part where, you know, it was like the camaraderie was so big when you were coming up in wrestling because you're working together. Is there anything different now with, the way these guys are coming up that might be a uh, negative? Um, I, I don't know that it's going to be a negative, but it's definitely definitely different. Like when, when I started in the developmental system, we would train two or three hours a day in the morning, and then you'd have all day long to go to the gym, tan, whatever you're going to do. And then we were, we were having, you know, one, two, three, four, uh, five shows a week. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot, uh, a lot of shows and, you know, a decent amount of ring time uh, as opposed to, it's pretty much all on site and, and, and live events. It's just more intense now. It's like, you know, they're trying to force feed 10 years of experience in, into three years, which is, you know, I mean, which is what we have to do now because it's a, it's a TV product and uh, we need these guys ready. There's a lot of TV. And now with, uh, are there any added pressures with NXT being this growing brand and having their own TV shows? Uh, there's so many more hours to fill now. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of talent down there in NXT that can try to fill those hours. Um, was there a lot of pressure on you to get guys ready faster? Uh, I mean, you just mentioned that, yes, you want to get guys faster, but was there a lot of pressure laid down on you from above? 
I didn't necessarily I didn't necessarily feel that. Okay. Because it was my assumption that like if, if they hired a talent that had no experience, they're expecting to groom that talent from anywhere from three to five years to get okay. them ready. You know, so it's a it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. You know, there might have been certain guys that they wanted to get ready quicker, but normally I didn't have those guys because I was kind of with the guys that uh were newer to the system. Are guys now in NXT coming up with their uh, with their WWE TV names more on their own now? Is it still a team effort? Do you have any input in in trying to help guys figure out what their personas might be? Um, I, I don't know the actual process. I think that I, I think they would go to the powers that be with a list of ten names. They would check to see if those were legally available, and then they would kind of pick and choose or switch it up or or give them the name that they wanted. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure of the sure. process, but I think that the talent would, would, would pick a list of 10 names. And from there, they would kind of narrow it down to the one that they wanted. So last week it was, uh, it came out that you were leaving WWE, uh, that you were no longer going to be a trainer there uh, after a year. Um, you mentioned it was a great experience. Uh, it certainly was a unique building in that aspect. Um, you kind of intimated that this might have been a surprise, like you didn't see uh, that coming. What Can you tell me anything about what kind of led up to you leaving WWE this time around? I, I really don't know. I was just kind of brought into the office and, and told they were going to be giving me my release. Uh, they said that at this time I really wasn't the fit that they wanted, you know, so I, I really don't have any answers. I'm, I'm still kind of puzzled and baffled, but like I said, it was a phenomenal experience. It, it, it helped me grow as a performer, as a coach, as a business person in sports entertainment. You know, it, it, I got to see the business from a different angle, from a different aspect. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm just thankful for the, uh, for the time that I had there. Are you free to do whatever you want now then? Or are you still under some type of agreement where you can't do much for a period of time? Or can you go work um, a show tomorrow? I, I, I would. I don't know what the legality is. I, I think it might be a month, but, you know. If, uh, if five dollar wrestling and freight train comes a knocking, you know that, <laughs> that, that I'm going to have to go toe to toe with them again. I'm going to have to cut. If five dollar wrestling comes around the Midwest again, and I'm sure they will, uh, and you're on the card, I'll have to go check that out for sure. Um, as far as because uh, you wrote on Twitter that you're open, you're available for uh, bookings. Do you want to go ahead and uh, plug where people can reach you if they do want to uh, get your interest in working their shows? Absolutely. I'm on Facebook. The handle on Facebook is Nick, the letter U-G-E-N-E, Eugene Dinsmore, D-I-N-S-M-O-R-E. Also on Twitter, at Eugene, U-G-E-N-E, Dinsmore, D-I-N-S-M-O-R-E on the Twitter. Uh, they can you know get a hold of me there. And that's one thing that I, I, I really did miss was performing and touring the world and getting to sit down and talk to fans and see new places and, and, and just to, you know, enjoy wrestling the way it's supposed to be enjoyed from the performer's aspect. Now, do you see, will you be working as uh, several different, in Rika King, you were, I, I don't want to get this wrong, so I apologize, but you, you weren't Eugene. You were, were you a doctor on that show or some type? I was a doctor in India. I was Dr. Okay. Nicholas. And, and the, the, the doctor didn't come across uh, uh, 100% correct because the announcers didn't speak English. But the gist ah. of the doctor was this guy had been in mental institutions his entire life. He was so crazy. He thought he was a doctor because he'd been around doctors in his entire life. Mm -hmm. Kind of like Madman Murdoch was on, uh, on the A-team, right? Yeah. 
So, you know, I had my white outfit and, and, and my mouth guard and a little head mirror thing and my bag. And, and uh, it was fun to play the doctor. Because, like I said, I was also coaching and, and producing over there as well. But the doctor would have been a, a fun character to explore. Is that something you think might uh, you might try to explore further, maybe whether it's indie shows or maybe on TV somewhere down the line? If someone could put it on TV, it'd be phenomenal, but I don't believe anybody even knows who the doctor is in America. You know, because the first episode of Ring to King, the doctor wrestled Mabahali Shira, who is now under contract with TNA. And that first episode of Ring to King, I was the first match that was seen by I don't know how many millions of people. Uh, it was just a, a phenomenal first episode. And I was the very, you know, the Dr. Nicholas was the very first match. So. I'm big in India. The yeah. doctor's big, but <laughs> as far as America goes, I'm, I'm I'm not practicing in America. I remember trying to seek out those shows, and you were one of the reasons why, because I wanted to see uh, you kind of explore different characters outside of, you know, m- most people are going to remember Eugene from WWE because that's what got the most exposure. Um, I remember uh, watching OVW when the likes of, you know, early days when Chad Collier was down there, and then Von Lylas, who was actually a, a teacher in my hometown. Um it, I was watching you as Nick Dinsmore in OVW and thought it was great. And it was one of those things I would always like to see is you explore these different characters. And uh, it would certainly be fun to see you get to do that again at some point. Um, are there are there any dates that you can announce right now? Or are you still kind of uh, kind of holding those uh, close to the vest for the time being? Oh, heck no. I'm going to... Uh, I don't have the specifics on, the, uh, on where I'll be, but... Uh... Beginning of November, November the 1st, I'll be in Toronto. November 7th and 8th, I'll be in uh, Queens, New York. And again, in Queens, New York on the 14th and 15th. So the dates are filling up fast. I've got a few more in contract negotiations right now, but that's all I can disclose. Looking forward to getting back out there and uh, having a good time. And we can follow you on Twitter at Eugene Dinsmore. That's U-G-E-N-E Dinsmore. And then uh, Facebook, Nick Eugene Dinsmore. So, uh... We'll get that out there and people can follow along. And if you're in the area with uh, Nick Dinsmore coming to town, go out and see this man. Absolutely. Thank you so much for today. ProRisuShop.com, your only source for authentic ProRisu merch straight from Japan. Translation extraordinaire Yatsumi has helped more than 300 fans all across the world purchase authentic merchandise. And now he's bringing that savings to you with over 300 items to choose from. ProRisuShop.com has the largest selection of New Japan and ProRisu merchandise you can't get anywhere else. Shirts, belts, trading cards, DVDs, and more from the biggest stars of Japan, like Tanahashi, Okada, Nakamura, and of course, the Bullet Club. Get them all for the same price you would pay in Japan, with worldwide shipping starting at only $6.99. For the very best in ProRisu merchandise across the world, the choice is clear. ProRisuShop.com that's P-U-R-O-R-E-S-U shop.com. ProRisuShop.com. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. 